people in the pulpit today, but it's that time again for 2013 annual pulpit exchange in Flint River Presbytery. Pastors all over crisscrossing. Right now, Reverend Hasty is in the pulpit at First Pres of Dawson, Georgia. Reverend McKelly is in the pulpit, First Pres of Albany. Dr. Doughton has just completed delivering the sermon at Beth Salem in Columbus. Good things come back around. The pulpit exchange has been celebrated for five years. This is the fifth anniversary, and the first pastor to fill the pulpit at First Columbus is Paul Coates, member at large of Flint River Presbytery, and Paul is back with us again this year. Welcome, Paul. Please rise for the call to worship. This is my father's world, the birds their carols sing, the morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. Let us sing praises to our maker with our opening hymn.
please be seated. We are all troubled by sin and temptation. We were born into this trouble ever since the original sin. But the good news is we do not have to die in sin. For all who confess their sins and call upon the name of their Lord will be forgiven. Let us confess our sins using the prayer of confession that is found in your bulletin. Almighty and merciful God, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those which we ought not to have done. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare those who confess their faults. Restore those who are penitent according to your promises declared to the world in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O merciful God, for his sake, that we may live a holy, just, and humble life to the glory of your holy name. At Golgotha, the thief turned to Jesus and asked, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I will tell you the truth. Surely today you will be with me in paradise. Friends, hear and believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. All the children down for children's sermon. Good morning. How are you all? So I have a question. Raise your hand. Did you have breakfast this morning? Raise your hand if you had breakfast. And will you have lunch later? Maybe a snack? Dinner? Okay. So do you think God likes to eat? He does? Yeah, you think so? Well, we don't really know, do we? But he does not need food or water or shelter because he's a spirit. 
And God knows that we need things like food, shelter, water, and love. And he has made us a promise. Philippians 4.19 says, My God will use his wonderful riches in Christ Jesus to give you everything you need. So next time we eat, let's make sure that we thank God for everything he provides. Okay? Praying in three, two, one. Dear God, we thank you today for all the wonderful gifts you've given us, such as food, shelter, our families, and each other. Most of all, we thank you for you. Help us to remember to thank you each day for the many blessings you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, empty our hearts of our own thoughts and refill our hearts with the Holy Spirit as revealed by your word in Scripture. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I invite all who are able to stand to please rise for the reading of this morning's first scripture. The first scripture is from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. The scene is after the death of King Uzziah, and Isaiah and our Lord are having a conversation. At the time, Israel has fallen away from the word of God and will be punished, but ultimately, will be rescued from political and spiritual oppression. This scripture is later quoted by Jesus during the course of his ministry. Listen now to the word of God. Isaiah says, Here am I, send me. And the Lord says, Go and say to this people, Keep listening but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. Make the mind of this people dull, and stop their ears, and shut their eyes, so that they may not look with their eyes, and listen with their ears, and comprehend with their minds, and turn and be healed. This is the word of the Lord.
passage of scripture that I am about to share with you comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Please rise for the hearing of God's word. Before I share that passage with you, there are a couple things I would like to say about this chapter in particular. Although all of scripture is God-breathed and good for instructing and building up of the people, this chapter in particular is of vital importance to us because it contains no fewer than eight parables in it. In fact, a fifth of the parables of Jesus occur in this single chapter. And not only that, but it is the only place in all of Scripture in which Jesus explains in his own words the meaning of his parables. He explains, too, the meaning of the parable of the sower, which you will hear me later refer to as the parable of the soils, and also the parable of the wheat and tares, or of the wheat and weeds. Listen now for the word of God. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some of it fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, and thirtyfold. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This is the word of God. For those of you who were present the last time that I preached here, you will remember receiving something. I see some smiles on your faces. I, I handed out chocolate. I have been admonished to not do so again today. <laughs> In fact, I understand that First Presbyterian has passed an 11th commandment, thou shalt not pass out chocolate among the people. <laughs> I think it's part of your non-compete clause. <laughs> but passing out is something that we are going to be talking about today because it is central to the message of the gospel. It is central to Jesus' teaching in parables, and it is certainly central to the parable of the soils that we will be discussing today. There was once a man named John in the early part of the western expansion of the United States who traveled through the upper Midwest with a mission. Many of you are familiar with what you think his mission was. His name was John Chapman, affectionately known as Johnny Appleseed. 
and we are all taught in our history books and wherever else we might lay hand upon it, that this was the reason that he went about in order to establish a cash crop for those who were living on the frontier. What seems to have been forgotten along the way was the true reason for John Chapman traveling the back roads and the farm communities of his day. It was, in fact, something that sprang forth from this parable, the parable of the sower. He went about scattering seeds because he had been so moved by Jesus' voice, Jesus' message in the parable of the sower that he took very seriously and very literally the charge to share God's word. And so what he did, he carried two satchels with him. In one satchel, he loaded as many apple seedlings, not just seeds, but seedlings, as he could carry, and in the other, apple seeds. On his head, he wore a pot with a handle on it that he used for cooking. But between the pot and his head was a Bible and various Christian literature, which he had carefully broken the spine and divided into sections so that as he went from community to community, he would give the people in this section one part of the book, in this section another, and scatter it about. And people would read, and reading materials were hard to come by in those days, and they would get to the end of the part and realize they only had a portion of what was there. And they would anxiously await for John Chapman to come back, and when he did so, to pick up materials from another community and to shift everything around so that over the course of time, they would be able to read the entire book. He planted in them a hunger for what he had to share. It was one of the earliest serials in American history. Someone became quite troubled by this approach to sharing the gospel that he had developed. Why not just give us the entire book and then pass it on? And he said, because this way, more people's appetites are wet. But if it concerns you greatly, you need not wait for me to return. You can take your section of the book yourself and go to the community over yonder and swap with them. You have my permission to do so. I don't know what it is about our cultural mindset that we remember the charming part of the story, the strange looking man who was often barefoot with a pot on his head and satchels on his side walking about the countryside 
with apple seeds, but we forget the message that he shared. We like the chocolate, but we forget that the real message is receiving something from which we will never need hunger again. Which brings me to our message today. Why did Jesus come into the world? All or most of us here are Christians. Many have been so for a great many years. And we think we know the answer to that. He came into the world in order to die for our sins. Anybody else ever hear that? Yeah, you've been taught that? Only partially true. Yes, indeed, he did come into the world. He did die. And through his death and resurrection, our sins were blotted out. But it was not the reason that he came into the world. The reason, the purpose that Jesus came into the world was to bring an end to a separation that had occurred between God and humanity. To end the rift that was between us. To heal us, if you will. But perhaps most of all, to plant deep within each of our hearts, to anyone who would listen, to anyone who would look, open their eyes, to plant the will of God in the hearts of humanity. In order for the ministry of Jesus Christ to mean anything, in order for his death and resurrection to have any worth at all, we must first receive him into our hearts. Otherwise, he's just some guy who died a couple thousand years ago. A lot of people have died. A lot of people who have died miserably. Maybe even more so than Jesus. Senselessly. But therein comes the departure. Jesus' death was not senseless. For to those who receive him into his heart, who have the will of God literally planted inside of them, that death becomes the source of new, abundant, and eternal life. This is why Jesus taught in parables, by the way, in order to make that connection. Now, I shared with um, one of the earlier groups, and only those, and I see a number of you who have gone to all three services, will get the full message this morning because I have this habit of getting sidetracked, and you'll hear things brand new if you are here for the third time. When Jesus 
taught in parables. We assume that he did so in order to unlock a deeper meaning about the kingdom of God. And indeed, every parable of Jesus is about the same thing. It's about the king and it's about the kingdom. Don't allow yourself to get sidetracked from those two clear messages. It's always about the king. It's always about the kingdom. But when Jesus came teaching in parables, he realized in the short time that he had here on earth that he had something of vital importance to pass on to humanity that quite frankly most people were not going to get. They were not going to understand in that short time frame. So he passed on this very valuable message in a way that it would be kept safe until we were ready to hear the true and deep meaning that it contained. It's rather like my 16th birthday in which my dad had hinted at the fact that he was going to give me a very big present for my 16th birthday. As a boy, what do you think that I imagined that would be? I have never met anyone who thought that it would be anything other than a car, including myself. And when I received an envelope about yay big, a manila envelope, it wasn't even wrapped up. I was absolutely certain that when I opened it, what I would find inside would be a car title. Instead, it was a stock certificate. Yay! (laughs) I opened it and I looked at it. It had my name on it. It had a number with a bunch of zeros uh, uh, in all four corners, which I imagined to be a good thing. But all I could muster at the time was, oh, thanks, Dad. I was not thrilled. My dad had cast his seed upon the path. But before the birds could come and pick it up, he took the certificate from me and said that uh, I'll hang on to that until you're ready. And therein is what we have with a parable. Absolutely charming stories that are as memorable as being handed chocolate. They're so memorable, they're so fun, they're they're so connecting to daily life that we are quite inclined to share them with other people. Let me tell you this story, it's a really good one, about this farmer that went out casting seed. And he didn't just throw it in the field which had been tilled and made ready, he threw his seed Everywhere, There wasn't a square inch of ground that did not have the opportunity 
to receive that seed. But in reality, only a small portion of it ever landed on soil that was in fact ready to receive it. The good soil. Now, in this story, the constant is the seed. The seed is always good. No matter which type of soil it lands on, there's nothing wrong with the seed. It's wonderful seed with tremendous potential. What does this mean? Can't you see the people in the crowd scratching their heads? Well, you know, it's a clever story, Jesus, but, huh? What are you talking about? And so when he is with his disciples, not the crowd, but when he is with his disciples, alone with them, he says, let me explain what this means. The seed is the word of God. And then as he goes on to describe the soil, four different kinds of soil, he describes the soil as being people who are at various stages of receptivity. But before sharing this inside knowledge, if you will, with his disciples, he shares something else with the crowd. In which he tells them that their ears will be blocked, their eyes will be covered, essentially because of the hardness of their hearts. Quoting Isaiah, it's a cliff note version of it. He quite literally tells the story to the crowds not to reveal, but to conceal. What he essentially did was to go to everybody and hand them a certificate for $1,000 worth of Ghirardelli chocolate. And for those who have a hunger for chocolate, when you're ready, you can turn the certificate in. I said before that the parable of the soils, like all parables, is about the king and about the kingdom. When Jesus speaks of the word, being the good seed. We need to bear in mind the words of the Gospel of John, wherein we are told that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Full of what? Grace. Full of grace. What is grace? It sounds nice. We think that we say grace before we eat. But grace is in fact 
God's unmerited love. Something that is given to us that we do not deserve. There was nobody in the crowd who heard Jesus tell that parable for the first time who deserved anything that Jesus had to offer. There was no one gathered here today, myself included, who deserves what Jesus has to offer. And yet, nonetheless, here we are recipients of what we do not deserve. And why is that? Because God loves. Love is not a thing that any of us possesses. Love is a verb. It's something which must be done. And in the same way, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can refer to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. and th those, those help to point us to the gospel. They're not, we call them gospels. They're not ultimately the gospel. They're like parables in a way that point us to this experience of being with God. I had a Hebrew professor who I visited many years after leaving seminary who had spent his lifetime studying both the Old and New Testament, the languages that lay behind him and all of the things that we find in commentaries. And I asked him, I said, Walter, after 50 years of carefully studying God's word, what would you say is essential core meaning? And a rather wry smile broke across his face as though he had waited for a student to ask this his entire career. And he said, without pause, to hold hands with God and our fellow human beings. And if we should ever let go, to find a way of holding hands again. Well, I am here today to tell you that a way of holding hands again has been shown to us. And his name is Jesus Christ. He holds his hand out to us, ready to pick us up when we are wounded. Ready to stand alongside of us and walk with us. Because the gospel, the kingdom of God, are not things, but they are the reality of being one with God. That's something that you have to do and keep doing. You can't have done it once and then forget about it. You must do it again and again, step after step of your life. And there will be times when you grow weary and you lose your grip, you let go. But should that happen, Find a way. Find a way of holding hands again. I really believe that the primary problem with Christianity today and perhaps through every age 
has been that we know a lot about God. We know a lot about Jesus. But we don't know God. We don't know Jesus. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, which I believe is the most critical moment in his ministry, by the time he's hanging on the cross, that was carrying out a decision which had to be made in the garden, where he had the option of turning his back on his suffering and death. But instead of doing so, said, not my will, but your will be done. What Jesus was saying is that I know you and I trust you. In the Garden of Eden, we all know about the tree that was in the center of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we were told that we could eat from any of the trees of the garden except for that one. I'm here to tell you today that long before the first bite was taken out of whatever fruit that was, we were already in trouble. Because the moment that we were told we cannot have that fruit, we forgot that there were in fact, there was in fact not one tree, but two trees in the center of the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. When we were told we could not have the one, we immediately forgot about the other. And Jesus came into the world essentially to say, last time you chose poorly. This time, choose wisely. Choose me, and I will come into you. And my death will spring to life inside of you, and together we will grow into something that produces great abundance. I'm assuming that everybody here has seen an apple at some point in your life and that you have no doubt actually bit into one. If you bit deeply enough, what you found was that it is actually filled with seeds. I have some seeds here in my pocket, some apple seeds. They're so small that you might not even be able to see them from there. But I'm holding one up. Well, one just got planted. I'm holding one up right there, a tiny little seed. Had somebody um, share something with me a little while ago 
that essentially said something along these lines. How many apples are there in a seed? Interesting question, isn't it? If I take this envelope and I fold it up and I return it to my pocket or when I go home, put it in my desk drawer and I wait for 15, 20 years, guess what I'll have? A bunch of seeds in my drawer. Seeds mean nothing until they are planted. The word of God is worthless unless it is planted in your heart. And once it is planted in your heart, that it is nurtured, is raised up, it grows so that it produces fruit. Not only is Jesus the farmer in this story, but you and I are. We are invited to be the sower, casting seed. And just, you know, we want to know what is the most effective way for me to share the gospel. You know what Jesus' answer to that question is? What are you talking about? Don't ask me a silly question like that. Just do it. Am I discriminate in the way that I share my love or my word? my gospel we are told that God causes the rain to fall upon the righteous and the unrighteous but it falls and it nourishes the soil and if there's some seed in it it grows into a plant that produces Jesus did many things, but before he departed this earth, what he did was to not just ask us to do something, but to actually insist upon it to the point of making it a command. Go into the world and spread my seed among every nation. Not just those nations that we think will be receptive to the gospel. Share it with everybody. Let me worry about the growing of it. But you need to get it in the ground where it can do some good. You need to share your life with someone else. And if you fall into the trap of thinking, well, you know, I, I, I just don't know enough to do that. The only thing that you need to know is that Jesus Christ died for you. He gave his life for you. And not only that, he gave his life because of you. (coughs) But that he is ready to reclaim it. For anyone who will allow him into their heart. Or he may grow. And together, we produce much, much fruit. You can sit in those pews until you take your last breath 
and it will neither save you nor be pleasing to the Lord. What he is pleased by is your reception of that seed and your commitment to sharing it with others. You are the world's living expert in what God has done for you and is willing to do for others. So go and cast the seed broadly that the love of God should one day grow in every corner of the world. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let us go to God in prayer. Almighty, gracious, and loving God, we come to your altar to offer ourselves in your service. We are your vessels and pray to be filled with your spirit, wisdom, and direction to carry out your mission on earth. Your word is shared today in singing, in scripture, in preaching. Carry us past deafness to action. Our needs, this world's needs, for your mercies are legion. We pray for the grieving, for those in physical and mental pain. You are the great physician and able to heal in ways that amaze. 
We pray for those who are economically challenged by natural disasters, by business reversals. You are the great provider. We pray for the safety of our military personnel and of first responders. Give them the whole armor of God to withstand all challenges that come their way. We pray for the families and members of this Church. Give each of us the compassion to minister to one another. We ask a special blessing on the youth and their leaders as they complete Quest Weekend and travel home. Assure them that you are well pleased with them. We pray for the success of our upcoming Global Missions Conference. We pray for vision and discernment of the mission of this Church beyond these walls to be best able to serve students immediately outside, as well as people in Russia, Kenya, Guatemala, and elsewhere who seek the Word of God. We offer these prayers, as well as the unspoken prayers which you also hear, in the name of the victorious, risen Lord and Savior, who taught us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Again, greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. For those present, please complete the information on the attendance pad that you find in your pew racks. For those of you who may be joining this worship service by TV broadcast into your home, motel room, hospital room, we thank you for taking this hour of rest and joining us. When you may next have opportunity, search First Presbyterian Church, Columbus, Georgia. Seek out the programs we have there and come on down. I believe you're going to like what you find if you get into them in person. Spring Harbor Church, thanks for being out there. I know who's there and I know where you're sitting. Y'all are creatures of habit, just like me. Thank you for your faithfulness. Many activities are coming up for this congregation. Many have just been completed. As the pastors are traveling all around southwest Georgia, our senior high youth and youth leaders are traveling around and now back from the annual Quest Weekend at Presbytery. Eight of our youth have served in staff and leadership roles at the Quest Weekend. A Stephen minister will be available after this worship service in the museum if any would like to have a moment of quiet prayer. In my own opinion, the next biggie event that's coming up congregation-wide and other congregations in town, anyone who might want to attend, is the annual Global Missions Conference, February 6 through 10. Not only does the conference fill us with renewed enthusiasm for our missions, but this year you're going to get some physical training too. 
The chair of the Global Missions Conference, as you probably know, is Tina McQueen. And if you have ever been to a production that involves food and Tina, you know there's going to be some good eating. So the physical fitness that we will get from the conference will be much needed. To bring more information for the conference, I asked Kathy Bickerstaff, former chair of the missions ministry, to bring us some more scoop. When you hear the word shape, what comes to your mind? Is it the shape of the economy? The shape of geometric items? Our beautiful windows in the church? Well, the missions ministry hopes that the shape of your body, mind, and spirit comes to mind as we focus on our Global Missions Conference. I do hope this week you all received a brochure in the mail describing our Wednesday through Saturday of February 6th through 10th conference. If you did not and would like one, please call the office tomorrow and they will be glad to send you one. Our minds are going to be stimulated by wonderful speakers, our spirits by the blessings that God has given us so we might share with others, and our bodies by physical movement and healthy food. Even though it starts on Wednesday of the 6th, on Saturday we really have a fun-filled day for silver sneakers, for baby boomers, for young adults, teens, and children. We do have some professionals that are helping guide these different tracks, so I urge you to sign up as soon as you know which one you want to join because we want to have a good Presbyterian response to their efforts of donating their time and their expertise with us. Even though the deadline is February the 4th, if you know ahead of time what you want to do, we encourage you to sign off for that. The whole conference will be undergirded by prayer with our prayer vigil on that Friday led by B.B. Dobbs, and we encourage you to sign up for an hour of that too. The needs to spread the gospel around the world are endless. And our allocations committee has come up with about eight causes that we feel are very worthwhile. And we hope that you all will give generously to support these causes. So please join us the week of... Thank you for worshiping with us. And we pray the service spoke to your heart and will bless you throughout the week. We would love to hear from you. And we hope you'll join us next week. And may God bless you.